You are listening to audio from Hyde Park Baptist Church. You can join us each Sunday morning at 1045 Eastern Standard Time at hydepark.online.church. Turn your, in your Bibles to 1 John, 1 John chapter 2. We just finished up last week um, walking through First and Second Timothy. My intentions were to start in Jonah today, the Old Testament book of Jonah. But the Lord said, no, you're going to 1 John. So that's where we're going to be. We're going to be in 1 John today in the next couple of weeks. And then we're going to get into the book of Jonah later in the summer. So 1 John chapter 2, have you ever been to a ball game, like a big ball game, ACC, NFL, and you're, you're coming into the parking lot, and, and, and when you get out in the parking lot, you notice more football, but the tailgating, and there are people already out there freaking out over this game. I mean, long before the game, I'm talking hours before the game is ever slated to begin, they're already in full-blown fan mode. You might see some guy with his shirt off, and he's painted his entire body the color of the team he's supporting. Uh, he's got flags up. He's got bumper stickers all over his car. I mean, he is all in. And as you're coming into the stadium, he's, he's yelling, and, and nothing has even happened yet. I mean, he's losing his mind, and the first whistle has not even been blown. Well, it just builds till he gets inside the stadium, and then he really gets his game on. So he is yelling. He's screaming at the refs. If his, if his favorite player makes a basket or, you know, gets a touchdown, he is absolutely beside himself. If you talk to him, he's going to know the, the, the history of the team. He's probably going to be able to tell you the stats of several of the players, if not all of them, especially a special player, his particular one that he likes. Uh, he's going to be able to tell you the history of the team, the, how many times they've been to a championship, how many times they've won, how many times they've lost. I'm talking they are a fan, and they're all in. What's interesting is he doesn't really know the players personally. Uh, he, he's never going to play in the game. He's never going to take a snap. Uh, he's never going to throw the ball inbounds. Uh, he's never going to take a hit. Uh, there's no sacrifice on his part other than the huge amount of money that he's spending for merchandise. Uh, but he, he's a fan. Or maybe, maybe you've got this lady that works in your office or maybe at school. Um, she is all into this particular celebrity, right? And this is not just for women. This is for men, too. I've seen it, seen it both ways. But maybe you've seen a lady who is so enamored with maybe the latest Instagram influencer or YouTube influencer that they're saying the same words, using the same vocabulary, buying the same shirts, buying the product that they're selling, they're all in. Uh, she can tell you how this particular person made it to fame. They can tell you all the people that that particular person has dated, who they're married to, the names of their kids, the name of the dog, their favorite foods, and all of the information. But that person will never be known to them personally. They may never even meet. You see, what I've just described to you are people who are very enthusiastic. They're very zealous, but they're fans. Jesus would travel all over uh, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, all the way up to Caesarea Philippi. And as he would travel, crowds would get larger and larger and larger. There's one particular story in John chapter 6 that I um, just want to tell you about briefly. 
John has got, I mean, Jesus has got so many people that are flocking to follow him. There's over 5,000 people on this hillside, and Jesus looks at his disciples and says, these people are going to get hungry. How are we going to feed them? Well, there's no towns close by, and even if there were, there was no way they'd have enough food. The disciples don't have enough money to, to, to buy enough food for 5,000 people, and all that they have is a few loaves of bread and a few fish. So Jesus turns these few loaves and few fish into enough, enough food to feed over 5,000 people, and not only that, there were baskets of food that were left over. Now, after that happens, the crowds get huge. No matter where Jesus goes, he's absolutely inundated with people. Now, there are people in that crowd who truly want to follow Jesus. But the majority of the people in that crowd are just fans. They're there just to see another miracle. As a matter of fact, they asked Jesus if he could to, to kind of give them manna like their patriarchs got when they were in the Exodus. You see, there's a big difference between being a fan and a follower. And Jesus didn't die on a cross, and Jesus didn't come and live the life he lived to build a fan base. He came to call people to follow him. The book of 1 John helps us distinguish between fans and followers. You see, when you put your faith in Jesus, it's not just some kind of prayer that we repeat. As a matter of fact, it's about the faith we express, not the prayer that we pray. That's what changes your life. Now, we can express faith to Jesus through a prayer, but listen, it's faith expressed in Jesus and what he did on that cross that takes us out of darkness and brings us into light. Talk about a contrast, right? How much more of a contrast could you have? Darkness versus light. 1 John is written by one of the disciples, John. And he's, interestingly enough, he's writing this letter in Ephesus, more than likely. Ephesus we've been talking about now for, what, the last several months with Timothy and his ministry there. John is there, and he's trying to keep the church moving forward. And the best that I can tell, from what I could read from history, not necessarily the Bible, is that Timothy lost his life in Ephesus, the pastor of the church there. Now, some historians say that the people of Ephesus actually took his life for his stand upon the gospel. John is now there years later, and he's continuing to lead the church. This is before he's thrown on the island of Patmos for his faith. And he's going to write this letter, and this letter has as its main goal is to tell us what authentic Christianity actually looks like. Here's my concern. I've had it for a while. Our country is so divided right now, more than it's ever been in my lifetime. It's not just divided between one group and another. We have multiple tribes now, multiple groups of people. There are divisions and subdivisions and sub-sub-subdivisions. I can't even keep up with it anymore. And it's, it is so bad that you can have a conversation with someone, and they will ask you a litany of questions to find out what tribe you're in, and from that point decide if they want to have anything to do with you. Have you had that happen? I have. Are you this? Are you this? Do you listen to this? Are you, are you in line with this? Well, if you are, then you can't be part of my group. Because my group is into this, this, and this. You, you see where I'm going here. My concern is, is that within the church, we're getting pulled into these tribes, into these groups of people, these subgroups. And as such, all we know to do is to lob bombs at the group we disagree with. I see it on social media quite often. John is going to tell us here that authentic Christianity looks very different than the world. 
It, it looks more than just being a fan. It's, it's more than just being an admirer of Jesus. You can, you can be an admirer of Jesus. You can, you can kind of admire the church. You can admire God's Word. You can admire Caleb Christian Radio or Southern Gospel Radio. You can admire all those things, but yet not actually be following Jesus. Turn over to Matthew 7. Just to kind of get us thinking about this, look at Matthew 7. Matthew chapter 7. This is the greatest sermon that has ever been preached. Jesus preaching the Sermon on the Mount. This sermon was directed at, at the twelve, at the disciples. Now, there's a crowd there, but the target of this teaching is the disciples. And the point of this sermon is to help the disciples know that by following him, they're going to be different than everyone else in the world. But I want you to look at Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. I think verses 21 through 23 are some of the most sobering statements that Jesus ever made. I would even go so far to say that 21 through 23 is some of the scariest verses I've ever heard. So I want to give you these just to kind of get our attention focused this morning on what it means to be an authentic follower of Jesus. Chapter 7, verse 21. Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So, so Jesus says, there's going to be people at some point in the future, they're going to say, Lord, Lord, which means, Lord, Lord means that, that they are submissive to him, that they have lived a life of surrender to him. But to call him Lord means that, that he's in control. So they're going to cry out, Lord, Lord, and, and they're going to be standing there in front of Jesus expecting to come into the kingdom. Verse 22, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy or teach or proclaim in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not do mighty works in your name? So they're going to be standing before Jesus, and they're going to say to Jesus, Jesus, we were a fan of yours. We were a fan of the church, and we did all these things in name of being a fan. We were very zealous about you. And they're expecting to get welcomed into the kingdom. Look at what he says. Verse 23, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Go back to 1 John. So Jesus has already told the disciples, and by the way, John was sitting there that day when he heard Jesus say that. Jesus says that there's going to be people who stand before him at, at one point in the future who expect that because of, of their great admiration for Jesus that somehow that's going to count for something. But to their surprise, they're going to find out that it actually didn't count for anything. Jesus says that those who follow him do the will of his Father. This letter is written for the specific purpose to show us what authenticity looks like. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. He says, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate. That is a legal term. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. Now what, what John starts out by saying here is, is he starts out with like a, a level foundational statement for what he's getting ready to say next. And he says that, that every single human being born into sin, which we all were, we were born as disobedient, as rebellious. We were born separated from God. The Bible teaches us that over and over and over again. And, and Paul and John and Peter all agree that we were all born broken people. 
And we required someone to step in. If, if God had not pursued us, if God had not come after us, if God had not loved us first, we certainly would have never been reconciled or made right with Him. Well, how did that happen? Jesus Christ, born in Bethlehem, grows up, begins his ministry as John the Baptist baptizes him in the Jordan. He begins his ministry, and his ministry is such that, that he is touching people that no one else would touch. He's loving people that no one else loved. He's going after the outcasts almost immediately early in his ministry. As a matter of fact, the twelve themselves are outcasts. But his ultimate mission was to die, not because of something he did, because of what we did. And that word propitiation means that he became a sacrifice on our behalf. He shed his blood so we would not have to shed ours. He died not because he was sinful, not because he was wrong, not because he was evil, but because the Bible says that he took upon himself all the wrongs that we had done. And that God's wrath was poured out upon him. That's what that word propitiation means. So John starts here and he says, now look, every single one of us are broken and every single one of us needs a Savior. Notice verse 3. And by this we know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commandments. So John now begins to, to unpack what he's really wanting to unpack in his letter. And he says, if we say that we know Him. As a matter of fact, that's going to be a, a phrase that he repeats. If a person says that they know Christ, if a person says that they abide in Christ, if a person says that they are in the light, that they've come out of darkness, then John is going to tell us that that must equal a changed life, that there must be radical changes that happen in that personal life. It's not them making themselves better. It's not them pulling themselves up by their own strength. It's, it's the work of God in their life because they've been reconciled or made right with their God, with their Creator. Notice what he says. He says, and by this we will know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commandments. Whoever says, I know Him, but does not keep His commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in Him. One thing you're going to notice about John is that he's pretty clear in what he's saying. I mean, he's, he's saying that the person who is a follower rather than a fan is going to have these characteristics in their life. The first characteristic he's going to highlight for us is obedience to his commands. Does this mean that does this mean that we must be good little boys and girls? Does this mean that to be right with God means we have to do all these things and do them right and do them perfectly? I lived my life as a Christian for a long time like that. Even after Jesus had forgiven me at six, age 16, for many years after that, I kept trying to be a good little boy and, a, and trying to do the right things. And I kept trying to check the boxes. All the while, Christ was saying to me, no, what I'm asking you to do is surrender control to your life so that I can empower you and, can, and give you the, the ability to live out what I've called you to live out. Because here's the thing. When you come to faith in Jesus, Jesus gives you the ability to live out what he's called you to live out. I don't have to do it myself. That was never his intent. He knew we couldn't do it. So what does he do? He gives us the Holy Spirit living inside of us, God himself. Get this, the creator of the world lives in, in me. So he says obedience is an indication of whether we're a fan or a follower. Consistent disobedience, consistently doing that which is in complete opposition to what Christ has called us to is an indication of something wrong. But that's not really where he wants to focus. That's not where I want to focus. This is kind of like the, the hinge point that obedience. We'll talk about more about obedience next week. Notice what he says next. He says, but whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. 
So where I really want to get to today and where John is going to get to is that the real key characteristic of a person who's following Jesus is, yes, obedience to Jesus, surrender to Jesus, but more specifically, love. He says here that as we obey Christ, the love of Christ is perfected in us. What does that mean? It means that it's made complete, that word perfected. It means that, that we become people who are known for love. That we become people as we grow up into Christ, that we are known for the way we love people. Jesus said this, that the church, his followers, will be known by the way they love. John says that one of the indications of authentic Christianity is that we are growing up into Christ. That growing up looks like love. Love for other people. Love for our family. Love for the church. Love for the lost. And even love for our enemies. He says that obedience equates to love. So, so in other words, if, if you're having a hard time loving other people, we can track that back and find out that we're also having a trouble with obedience to Christ, surrender to the Holy Spirit, listening to what He says, and living by His precepts and His Word. If we're having a trouble loving, then we're also having trouble obe obeying. And, and, and John says that if we have consistency in a lack of love and a lack of obedience, then there is a serious problem with where you stand with Christ. And it very well may be that you're a fan, not a follower. He says here that whoever says, look at this, verse 6, whoever says he abides in him, that he abides in him, ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. John says that, that if we say we are a Christ follower, get this, when you say you're a Christian, that means you are following Jesus, okay? As you know, if, if you've been around here any amount of time, I don't use the word Christian a whole lot. The reason I don't is because it's been redefined in a thousand different ways. So often I'll say a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus, yes, that is what Christianity, being a Christian is, that we follow Jesus, that we are concerned about what Jesus wants for our life, that we follow Him and we're surrendered to Him. John says that whoever says he abides in Him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. How did Jesus walk? Look at what he says next. Verse 7, Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but it's actually an old commandment that you have from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you've heard. But at the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing you, which is true in him and in you. Because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Here's what John says. John says, if you're going to abide in him, you've got to walk like him. Well, what did, what did Jesus do? How did he, how did he walk? John says that this is nothing new. As a matter of fact, Solomon tells us in Ecclesiastes, there's really nothing new under the sun. So what is John saying here? On the one hand, it's not a new commandment, but on the other hand, it is. Here's what he's saying. All the way back in Leviticus, in the book of the law, in Leviticus 19, verse 18, right there it says to the Jewish people that they are to love their neighbors as themselves. Years later, Jesus would say to, to those who were testing him, he would say that the greatest commandment is this. In Matthew 22, he says, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. The Jewish people were set apart by God for this purpose, to love God, and yes, to love the people around them. To love in a way that nobody else had ever seen before. They failed miserably. The Israelites began to love themselves more than they loved the people. They begin to love themselves even more 
then they left God. So John is saying, look, this is not a new commandment, but what is new is how Jesus lived this out. That when Jesus, who was predicted by the Old Testament prophets, when he comes and he lived among us, he demonstrated for us what love actually looks like. What did it look like? Well, Jesus walking down a, a street, a dirty road, this crowd of fans are all around him. They're wanting to see another miracle. Jesus stops in his tracks. I mean, he stops dead in his tracks, and he says, wait a minute, somebody touch me. The disciples are like, well, yeah, Jesus, a lot of people touching you. He goes, no, somebody touched me with faith. You see, what you may not realize is that down on her hands and knees is a woman. This woman has a medical problem. She's been to every doctor. She's been to every soothsayer. She's been to every priest. She's been everywhere. She's spent every bit of money she's got. She's never not been healed. Matter of fact, she's absolutely miserable. And because of the sickness that she had, she was ostracized from everyone around her. Everyone would declare her as unclean because of this disease that she had. And she had found help from no one. And she is literally crawling through these people who are all around Jesus, who are just there to see a miracle. She's having to crawl through their legs. And with her last bit of energy, I can imagine that she's stretching out. She grabs the hem of his garment, and Jesus stops because she knows that in the middle of all those fans is one person, one person who's expressing faith. He stops and he turns around. Here's this woman on the ground before him. And what Jesus does, he heals that woman on the spot. Jesus would be walking by one day and he would hear a guy yell out, Son of David! Son of David! This guy had been sitting by the road for years. He was blind. His name is Bartimaeus. Nobody cared a thing about Bartimaeus. But by the world's standards, he was a loser. By the world's standards, he was a nobody. And not only that, among the disciples themselves, they were taught that if a person was blind or lame or deaf, that it was because of some sin they had committed or some sin their parents had committed. No one would have anything to do with Bartimaeus other than to maybe throw him some scraps. Jesus stops, goes over to Bartimaeus, and gives him back his sight. Jesus modeled love for the world to see unlike anyone had ever seen. So when John says to us, I'm writing you no new commandment to love your neighbor, but we are seeing it in a new way, that the way Jesus lived, the way John saw Jesus live, was unlike anything he'd ever seen. The Pharisees weren't living like this. The, the, the Sadducees, the religious rulers, weren't living like this, even though they were called to. He says, but this light has come and it's shining in the darkness. And now we can really see, we really know what love actually looks like. What love actually needs to be lived out in our life. If we're going to follow Jesus, then we have to walk in his ways. Well, what ways did he walk in? Walking in love, even for those who hated Jesus. Jesus is being strung out on a cross on a hillside. He's carried that crossbeam all through the streets of Jerusalem, and now he's being stretched out on it, and they're driving spikes through his wrist. And you know what he says in that moment? He says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Folks, do we know love like that? Have, have, are, we, are we experiencing love like that in a world in which we live? The only way to find that kind of love should only be found, and should certainly be found among those who say, I abide in Jesus, I know Jesus, I'm in light with Jesus. That's the kind of love that we're called to share. That's the kind of love that we are to grow up into. And Jesus says we'll be known by that love because there's nothing in this world like it, especially now. 
You want to be faithful to the ministry? You want to be faithful to the Great Commission? Well, one of the ways you do it today is to love people. Not a lot of that going around right now, is there? You seeing a lot of love on social media? You seeing a lot of love among the different groups of people who are all taking up sides now? You seeing a lot of love from even our, our friends who say they abide in Christ, but yet they are the one on social media who's blowing up everything? It's like scorched earth. They're in an argument with someone, and you're seeing it, and you're going, what in the world is going on here? And the reason you're withdrawing from that is because that's not the love of Christ that we've been called to show the world. Look at what he says here. He says, whoever loves his brother abides in the light. And in him there is no cause for stumbling. John says that as we obey Christ, and as we go deeper in love with Christ, then that love then translates to the people around us. And as we love, as Christ has called us to, we won't be a stumbling block to other people. I can't tell you how many times that I've shared the gospel, try to have a conversation with someone about what I believe, that not too far into the conversation it turns out to go this direction. Oh, yeah. You mean you're a Christian, right? Well, yeah, and I, I want to tell you about how it's changed my life. Well, it's okay. I don't want to hear it because I've got somebody that um, says they're a Christian, and, and they hate my mom, or they hate my dad, or they hate my family, or they hate me because of the color of my skin. Oh, yeah, it happens. It's happened to me several times. Now, I'm trying to talk with someone about the love of Christ, but the only thing this person knows is the hatred that's flowed from someone who says they follow Jesus. And they can't reconcile the two. So what they've done is they've lumped all of us into this one basket that says, well, if this person hates, then that must be what the church is really about. Now, I know that's unfair. But the fact is, there's a whole lot of people out there that are de-churched. What I mean by that, de-churched, because some of the deepest pain they've ever experienced in their life was at the hands of a person who says they know Jesus. And they won't step foot on this campus, and they won't hear you out because of the hatred they've experienced. Jesus says, and John says, the only way that we can prevent from being a stumbling block is to obey Jesus, love Him, and then love others. There's a few questions I want to ask you to consider. The first question I want to ask you this morning is, will you live in obedience to Christ? You see, I know that when you put your faith in Jesus, maybe, maybe you said a prayer somewhere 15 years ago, or maybe two days ago. And for the initial parts of that, you, you felt that, that rush of excitement, right? I mean, there was that rush of excitement, but as time has gone by, you've kind of just kind of reverted back to the old you, right? And now your existence, as far as following Jesus, comes down to, going to church maybe once or twice a month, maybe watching something online, and really, you're no different than you used to be. And it really comes down to it, there's, there's no difference between you now, and then the only difference is maybe you've got your name on a membership roll, but there's never been any fundamental change in your life. And you have no problem living the way you did back there. 
Folks, can I just plead with you and can I, can I say to you, there is a significant problem. John says that the problem is, is you're not where you need to be with Jesus, that maybe in fact you never cross from darkness into light. So let me ask you about your obedience. Is the goal of your life, the aim of your life, to please the King who saved you? Is the goal of your life to bring honor and worship and glory to Him? Now, you may not know all those terms. You may be early in your faith. You may be, have been a Christian for 20 years. You may have put your faith in Jesus 20 years ago, but you're still very much, well, an infant in Christ. But even then, you have a deep down rooted desire to please Him. That there are just some things you can't do anymore. There's some paths you can't walk. There's some places you can't go back to. Does that describe you or does it more closely to, you know what, I, I'm really no different. I, I can live any way that I want to, and I, you know, I really don't. I might feel bad about it if I get caught. Could it be that you might be a fan? You like the idea of Jesus. You like the idea of the church. You like the idea of God's Word. But other than that, you, you really have no change in your life whatsoever. I would be very, very concerned so will you live in obedience? Are you living in obedience? Is your goal each day to honor Christ and the choices that you make? Or do you find it no problem just to live the way you've always lived? Let me ask you another question. When you came to faith in Christ, were some things you had to give up? The answer to that question should be yes. You gave up control of your life. You gave up being Lord of your own life, and you surrendered that to Christ. That's what it meant. If that did not happen, and you just checked some boxes on a piece of paper, or you just raised your hand and repeated a prayer after somebody prayed it. It could be you're a fan, not a follower. Second question I want you to think about is will you forgive? You see, the, the opposite of loving the way Christ loves is not being willing to forgive someone. Now, I know that sitting in this room today and watching online, there are people who have been hurt profoundly in your past. There have been people who have hurt you deeply. The, the pain may be so bad, the hurt may be so bad, that you've never even been able to tell another human being about what you went through in that situation. But are you willing to forgive that person? Or has hatred taken root in your heart? I'm not talking about you lost your temper. I'm not talking about you had that moment where you, you just kind of popped off, went, lost your temper, got mad at someone. I'm not, I'm not talking about that. That, that. That's not hatred. It can lead to hatred, but that's not hatred. Hatred is an attitude of the heart that takes hold of your heart where everything about you is disdain for another human being because of what they've done to you. So much so that you, on your, you would never say it out loud, but on the inside, you're wishing ill will towards that person. As a matter of fact, you might have even thought these thoughts. It'd be okay with me if that person was dead. You would never say it out loud. But you've been thinking about it for a while. You know what Jesus said about that in that same Sermon on the Mount? He said, if we've hated to that degree, then we're committing murder. Not the physical act, but in our mind, in our heart, we have such a hatred for a person that we would wish them dead, wish them ill will, disdain, to walk as Jesus walked is to forgive those who've wronged you. 
And it may require over and over again forgiveness. You may be doing good one day and the next day you're like, I'm not doing so good today. That pain is back up. That hurt is back. But Christ, I want to honor you. I want to walk as you walk. I want to forgive this person. I want to come to that place where I actually do forgive them. I do not want to be in a prison anymore. Do you know that by withholding forgiveness from that person, you are a slave to what happened 20 years ago? I've got someone in my family. I've got someone in my family who's been holding a grudge for over 30 years. I know this. I know it personally. I know it well. I know what happened back there 30 years ago. But this person today, if they start talking about it, they're just as angry today as the day that it happened 30 years ago. And they will tell you, not ashamed, they will tell you, I will never, ever forgive that person. Have you ever said those words? Have you ever said that I am a Christ follower? I abide in Christ. I've come out of darkness into light. But yet follow those words with this. I will never, ever forgive that person. Can I tell you those two cannot coexist? Now, you may be in the process that Christ is working those things out of your life. I got that. But the end, the goal here, the end, the end of the road is full and complete forgiveness for what that person's done. He says here that hatred cannot be the descriptive value of a person who's following Jesus. Finally, will you love the church and will you love even your enemies? As you see through this text, and we'll see in the weeks ahead, that John keeps coming back to these brothers. Brothers. If you look at the actual Greek word, it's brothers and sisters. It includes both. So John is saying you've got to love your brother. You've got to love your sister. And certainly if, if love is going to be evident, it's got to be evident within the church. People who have come out of darkness in the light, they, we've all come into the kingdom the same way. So therefore, we are all before Jesus following him, loving one another. In spite of our differences, in spite of our backgrounds, that, that inside the church we are certainly to be loved. And Jesus said that we'll be known by that kind of love because the world is ignorant of that kind of love. But Jesus took it a step further in that same Sermon on the Mount. He said, you've heard it said that you are to love your neighbors yourself, but I will tell you that you're to love your enemies. It's amazing to me how many enemies we've got now. Depending on what group of people you're in, you've got people that don't even like you because you're in some particular group. Because you believe a certain way. Isn't it amazing that we have divisions now among politics that we've never seen? I mean, to the degree, I mean, there's always been division there, but now where we are today, it's not just division, it's hatred. I mean, it's deep-seated hatred. Would you, ever, would you have ever thought that there would be anger from one person towards another, whether they're wearing a mask or not wearing a mask? Would you have ever thought that there would be anger from one group of people to another for someone who's got vaccinated, chose to got vaccinated, or someone who chose not to? Would you have ever thought that there would be such anger, especially within the church? Well, I'm over in this group, and if I'm in this group, then I'm not with your group, and therefore, we are enemies. No, you're not. Because if you raise the banner that we're following Jesus, if you raise the banner that I'm abiding in Christ, if you raise the banner that I am in light with Him, then the characteristic of your life must be love. We need to be careful what we're posting on social media, folks. Because what you're trying to do and trying to get people to see your viewpoint is actually coming across as anger. It's coming across as hatred. Well, we're to be known for love. You see, the love that Jesus lived out was not just some idea. 
Jesus actually expects his people to love one another and their enemies the way he did. That's where we are to grow up into. You want a model to grow up into? Christ is the model. And when we do that, when we love and when we forgive, we are living authentic Christianity. And when we do, this world out here who is absolutely spinning off into a, an abyss of hatred will go, wait a minute. That's something real. I've been looking for that in my life. You see the difference between a fan and a follower? Is a fan can harbor hatred in their heart because they're just observing. They're not following. They're just observing. They're just part of the movement called Jesus. But when it comes down to loving enemies and forgiving others, that's when you know the difference between a fan and a follower. Which are you? Father, Father in heaven, we, we thank you for your goodness and the clarity of your word. And Father, we give over to you the work that needs to be done in the hearts of people here and watching online this morning. Father, your power is far more profound than anything we could imagine. And Father, right now there's nothing hidden from you. All the masks come off. All the religiosity comes off. You see the heart. You see where each and every person stands with you. Whether they're sitting in their home, across the globe somewhere, or in this building. So Father, we are laid bare before you. And Father, you know, and I believe the people know where they stand. Whether they're a fan or a follower. So, Father, have your will in your way. Do the work in the hearts of people. If it's for salvation, if it's to be reconciled, to be made right with their Creator right now, this moment, right now, is the time to respond. Father, if it's for a disciple who's grown cold, who's harboring unforgiveness, the Father is even growing into hatred, I pray that you pull them back. I pray that you bring correction into their life. And Father, they would surrender all to you today. We ask it all in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to this week's sermon. For more information about Hyde Park Baptist Church, please check out our website, hydepark.church, or on social media on Facebook and Instagram, at Hyde Park Baptist. 